0: Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week didn't go anything according to what I had planned or expected. My daughter's daycare had to close late last week because there was a reported uh, COVID, uh, or at least a COVID report, and so I took part of Monday off to watch after her, and um, so the day, the beginning of the day was just ordinary, it wasn't, you know, meetings Uh, normal work stuff, and then the rest of the afternoon was spent uh, doing toddler play. On Tuesday, I added more meetings, and so everything was ordinary from that standpoint. Uh, More planning, more programs. I was even joking with the staff on Tuesday afternoon about a really bad chicken sandwich that I had. Uh, So things were pretty, uh, pretty usual. It wasn't unusual to that point. By Tuesday night, I had a pretty good idea how the rest of the week would go. Uh, I knew how Wednesday would look, and Thursday, and looking forward to time off on Friday uh, to get ready for the weekend. Everything was going as normal. Lots of projects ahead in preparation for the May 30th resumption of in-person worship. And then something happened at 1 a.m. on Wednesday. Isn't that how that always happens? There's always something that happens in the early morning hours. Maybe I should say some things happened. I was awakened by the sound of my daughter who stood crying in the doorway of our room. So I jumped out of bed and I tended to her, got her all tucked back into her room and into her bed. And then I settled down to what I expected to be a long rest, only to be awakened by our other child, who I might say our other pack member, uh, our dog Otis, who was rather persistent, which is always a sign that he needs to be attended to quickly. And so I took him outside to the backyard, got him out there, he did his his thing out there, we got back inside, I got him settled back in, I settled back in, and I was hoping again for that deep and lasting slumber that was awaiting me. But instead, my sleep the rest of those early morning hours was uneasy and came in short episodes in that march to the morning alarm. When I got up, I felt a little foggy. I actually mentioned that in a meeting I was in in the morning. It was a little foggy. I thought, well, I don't feel quite right. And I think it's because of the two wake-up calls I got early in the morning and just the bad sleep that followed. So I took my daughter over to her daycare, got her dropped off. They take temperatures, her and mine, everything was fine. Went on to work, had my meeting. Still just wasn't quite right. Wasn't anything other than just didn't feel quite right wasn't thinking super clearly. And then about 10.30 that morning, I started shaking. I'm at work on the computer, I can't type on the keys because I'm shivering so much. And I won't go into the details of what happened after that point, but I can say this, after two COVID tests, one on Wednesday afternoon and one on Friday, both negative, after offering a number of fluid samples to be tested and analyzed by doctors, after being get, getting x-rayed, I learned that it doesn't look like I have some kind of virus, but rather I might have a bacterial pneumonia in the base of my left lung that's early in its early development. And so since last Friday, I've been on some lovely drugs that are going quite well, and I'm overjoyed to know that it wasn't the bad chicken sandwich that I had on Tuesday. We all have weeks like that, don't we? Weeks that start out with expectations, things that may be illness-related, but maybe something else. We're expecting a different outcome. We're expecting that things will look differently uh, for our lives or what our experience will be, only to find that that bubble gets burst. Well, the earliest Jesus followers were having that same kind of experience. They experienced those same kind of things in their lives. But at the end of... Luke's gospel, we get a picture of a a group of folks who are experiencing that in a series of different episodes. And you know how the story goes. Here are these followers whose rabbi has been betrayed by a member of the inner circle. He's now been set over to be uh, put on trial, just an absolutely unjust trial. He's found guilty and then sentenced to death. The people in the crowd shout for his death, and then the Romans put him up and crucify him. He's dead. And the people by the time we get to the last chapter of Luke are struggling. They're a struggling population. They're a struggling group because their beloved leader is gone and their expectations have all been dashed. And we can see that throughout that last chapter. Note the different accounts that happen. The women who come to to the tomb that's empty ultimately aren't expecting to see an empty tomb. They're expecting to find a dead body, but when they arrive, they're surprised because there's heavenly messengers there and the tomb indeed is empty. Of course, those messengers have to remind the women. They see the tomb that's empty and they don't know what's going on. They have to be reminded by those messengers that Jesus had told them that this would happen earlier, that he would rise from the dead and that they would have to get over their previous expectation that he was still dead. But when reports like this get back to the other disciples and other Jesus followers, we also see that their expectation, as well as not not to be what actually is, but rather what they're holding on to. Note how they respond when the women give their report. These words seem to them as an idle tale. And they did not believe them. And that's in Luke 24, 11. In the second account in Luke's final chapter of his gospel, we see two Christ followers on their way to Emmaus, and they encounter literally now the alive Jesus who's talking to them, but they don't even recognize in him. And they even lament to him that we had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. You can hear, of course, in that lament, their own unmet expectations. And then there's a third account where Jesus appears to a larger group of followers whose initial reaction is described as startled and terrified. And that's after Jesus says... Peace be with you. They're still startled and they're terrified. But there's more here than just the jolt one might have of being surprised by someone sneaking up on you. Instead, there seems to be a category of expectation that's resistant to change. And Jesus names that for them here in Luke's gospel when he says, why do doubts arise in your hearts? As the living Jesus is talking to them. How often fear and doubt have been the leading culprits in keeping us captive to our own manufactured expectations? Not just in matters of faith, but even in those fantasies we construct to make sense of the predicaments of life. But you won't be surprised to hear that God doesn't leave us there. Instead, these earlier followers are instead going to be shown how to flourish And how they are to flourish in the coming days post-resurrection in the life that God has for them. And it requires three things. Sermons oftentimes have three things, right? You hear the three points here. Here's our three points this morning. The three things that they would require to flourish. The first one's this. Jesus' words. Jesus' words would be important for flourishing. You remember those women who came to the tomb? Only to find it was empty. They expected to find a dead body, of course. The heavenly messengers who met them recalibrated their expectation in saying, Remember how Jesus told you. Right? Jesus' words drawn on those to recalibrate those expectations. Or those traveling the road to Emmaus, who later report that Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of bread. That's how the report came back. But when we read the account, in the moment that their expectation is changed, What they say here is, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking? There's something about those words. There's something about Jesus' words that are part of that transitioning to a new kind of expectation. And the group, after offering physical evidence that he was in fact alive, note what Jesus says to them. He says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Again, a recalibration of aired expectations requires Jesus' own words. The second thing for flourishing in this post-resurrection life is is the idea of what the scriptures have promised or the scriptures themselves. But these weren't the only words, when you think about Jesus' words, that were drawn on to help Earliest Jesus followers correct their expectations. And we see that in this one. For the two on the road to Emmaus, Jesus unpacks for them all that was written in Moses and the prophets about himself. He'll do the same for the larger group that is gathered. But note that with each, there also requires a God originated opening of eyes and an opening of minds. And if we include the account of the women at the tomb, we find here a calling to remember. And what is to be seen and understood, even what is to be remembered? It's God's own promise in Scripture that what Scripture points to can be trusted, and because of this, that one's expectations should be set in accordance to those promises. Of course, those two things by themselves make for wonderful, trivial pursuit champions. If you knew Jesus' words, and you knew the words of the Hebrew Scriptures backwards and forwards, you could win a bunch of Bible trivia competitions. You could pass the Bible content exam uh, with flying colors uh, to become ordained in the Presbyterian Church. But there's a third element that's vitally important, and that is God's own presence. One of the great losses in this pandemic that we've experienced has been the loss of human contact and the proximity of loved ones when we find ourselves at times of greatest need. I've actually been in conversation with a longtime friend whose mother was admitted into the hospital this past week, and they were lamenting that they were not able to visit with their mother because there's no visitors allowed, and just the strain that that's causing. And here we are over a year into this pandemic I know of one experience uh, where I was doing pastoral care for a family back in Connecticut whose um, father was dying he was on his deathbed and he was in the final stages of death and they wanted a pastor to come and pray with him Um, and so they simply had to put the phone next to him and I prayed over the phone um, to this person who was unconscious that I had never met uh, before. And so it's been a great loss for us in the midst of this pandemic. We've lost that human touch, that ability to come close and be in close proximity at those times, again, of greatest need. This has become, apparent, uh, you know, painfully apparent for us um, as we go on here, and we're looking forward to brighter days ahead. Today, we understand far better the importance of presence. So hearing God's presence as being a key feature to living the dynamic life, to living a flourishing life, uh, shouldn't catch us by surprise. In the life of faith, God's own presence is something that is celebrated. The popular hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, actually includes a familiar line that articulates this, saying, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. So when those earliest Jesus followers soon discover that their master is alive, that Jesus is still present to them, they are filled with joy. And their newfound joy includes newfound expectations, expanded expectations, which lead them to continue to express joy even as Jesus withdraws from them and is carried up to heaven as Luke's gospel concludes. And I imagine at this moment you're wondering, Jimmy, did you read Acts 2 at all this week? Because you did a great job of talking about Luke 24. What does this have to do with Pentecost? What does this have to do with what we find in Acts chapter 2? Well, let me offer this. You'll remember in Acts chapter 2 that they're all gathered in one place. Why are they gathered there? They're gathered there because of Jesus' own word. Because Jesus tells them, he sends them to that place so that they might receive what the Father has promised, that they might be clothed with power from on high. So he tells them to stay in the city. Jesus' own word places them there. And you'll notice how Peter responds when the the movement of Pentecost happens, when the Holy Spirit comes down and people are asking the question, what is going on? How do we respond to this? And some people even sneering at that. Remember how Peter responded? He directs them to the promise of Scripture. He takes them to Joel chapter 2. And when that spirit fills these Jesus followers, it's the ultimate expression of God being present to them. If you imagine in the ancient world, the idea of a temple, being filled with the presence of a deity to inhabit that space. But here in this very moment, we have what we see, the unmistakably presence of God. The idea of rushing wind, that sound that fills that space. And that picture of fire, this imagery that comes throughout the Hebrew scripture, now comes together here in that space. And it's not filling up a temple that's built by men but rather it's filling the hearts of people created by God there's a huge change that happens here so Jesus' words the promise of scripture the presence of God all on display here in Acts chapter 2 and all necessary for Jesus followers to flourish not only in the first century, but also in the 21st century. Promises here on this day made permanent in Pentecost. Harvey Cox in 1995 wrote a uh, book that's uh, got a lot of fanfare for good reason. It's actually a really, really good book. You know, Harvey Cox, a uh, former uh, uh, theologian uh, who's at Harvard Divinity School, wrote the book, Fire from Heaven, and in that book he concluded that the 21st century will belong to the Pentecostals. It's hard to argue against Cox at that point, uh, especially as we got early into the 21st century, and even today, with over 600 million uh, Christians around the world who identify as Pentecostal or charismatic, spanning all kinds of denomination as well as individual expressions and forms. Cox believed that what the Pentecostals offered had an expression that would give life to the church going forward. I don't think he's completely wrong on that. But I do want to ask a question here for us today. Is it only for the Pentecostals? Is the 21st century also maybe for the Presbyterians? What a day that we have here to come and to celebrate. What a day that we have to come and celebrate incredible gifts. Pentecost in ancient Judaism is a time of celebration. It would have been connected with the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Later on it would become uh, a celebration of God's gift of the law uh, in, in Moses and Sinai. Of course for Christians here we celebrate God's giving of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost has been a season for the ages, as we see with each one of these different types of expressions, that has been marked by the celebration of what God has given. Provisions for life, teaching to guide, presence to empower. Of course, in all of that, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to remind us of Christ's own words, to illuminate for us God's own scripture, and to fill us with a presence that guides, that directs, and that expands. These are all Presbyterian things. These are not charismatic, Pentecostal-only type expressions. So indeed, the 21st century can belong to Christians' like us as well because the same Spirit fills each one of us fills us here in this context but fills us across the entire Christian landscape of this world whatever expression that might take one of the challenges that we have as a church has been one uh, that's been going and I want to close with this as we think about the power of Pentecost for us particularly in our own setting we've been apart for a long time it's been a long time that we have not been in in in-person worship together and today marks the last week that we won't be offering in-person worship we actually begin next week offering two services for in-person worship there's a lot of expectation that comes with that there's a lot of thinking about what will happen who will come what will it mean for us going forward What does John Knox look like in this next chapter? These are all Pentecost questions. These are all the types of questions that early Jesus followers were asking as they approached their day of Pentecost. The beauty for us to remember is that a group of believers in Pentecost came because Jesus told them to stay. And they were obedient to Christ's calling and Christ's word. And they rooted themselves in those ancient scriptures. And he said, let me change my expectation, not not from where I want to be, but where God has promised us to be. And they gathered themselves around that text and they interpreted their experience. We see that with Peter. Interpreted their experience around those same texts. And they allowed God's own presence to cheer and to guide them. And you know what they saw in that? They saw absolute flourishing. Hundreds became thousands. Expectations that had been made were seen to be far too small for what God was capable of and what God was at work in doing. Friends, as we go into these coming weeks, and as we imagine together what it means for us to live as believers together, as we look at our own personal individual stories and our own personal expectations that we've set for life, let me encourage you today to once more draw on the strength that the church has drawn on for generation upon generation, and that's God's own spirit. May it be so for us today. Amen. Friends, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you on this day for your great love for us. We say that so often. We express gratitude for what you're doing in our hearts in our minds, and our lives. Because we recognize that you are at work and that work is being accomplished by your spirit. So Lord, open up our eyes to see wider and more expansive places. Help us not to be locked into expectations that are of our own making, but rather help us to see the promises that are being fulfilled over and over by you. Lord, help us to see where you're at work that we might join And that work as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.